You are listening to a sermon by Dr. Jason Pickard, an associate professor of systematic theology at Westminster Seminary, California in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A.com. Well, good morning. It is uh, great to be with you. It's a, the privilege and honor is mine. And as James has said, we, we're, we're new in town with this call to Westminster, but we're also, as you've seen this morning, uh, members of New Life. We're not just a, a visiting face. And if some of you we've met and we've enjoyed getting to know, some of you have become quick friends, and I want to say thank you. If you know anything of how God has called us here to Escondido, we moved literally from the other side of the world. And so it's been quite a big uh, move, and it's been a great place to land and to worship together week by week here at New Life. So thank you for accepting us and loving our family. It's great to be with you. This morning, I thought that we would take a look at this well-known passage from number six, the ironic blessing or the benediction, and really unpack what it means, because we hear it so often, but do we ever stop and, and think about just how powerful it is? So I'll read that for us. And then we'll ask God to help us, and then we'll jump in and, by God's grace, unpack his word together this morning. Number 6, 23 through 27, this is in your uh, bulletin, if you want to follow along with me. Number 6, 22 through 27, this is God's holy word. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, Thus shall you bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are God who blesses your people in and through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray now even in these moments as we open your word together that your spirit would work, that yes, we'd understand in our minds, but more so you'd write the truth of this blessing upon our hearts. That, oh God, you would draw the eyes of our hearts once again in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ in whom you do put this name upon us the saving, safe, blessing name. And so, God, we ask that you'd be so kind to do that in our midst now. And Father, I pray that as I speak, it wouldn't be my words, but that you would use your scripture in this sermon as your word for your people. And so we pray, oh God, your servants are listening. Speak in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wonder if you've ever Googled your name. It's okay, you can admit it, I have too. It's not always that impressive, is it? You kind of realize that, oh, 50 other people have the same name and they're unimpressive as I am. But really quickly, when you Google your name or or look into that topic, you find articles about how to improve those search results, how to make your name great. It only took me about 10 seconds this week on Google to find this article from Forbes Make a name for yourself, leverage your personal brand for business growth. And the great thing about the article is she's going to show you how to do it for free. Well, in our world of social media, reality television, 
this ideology of self-making and self-creation, it starts to seem quite normal to make a name for ourselves, to promote our own name, to be the mom who always has it together at the school drop-off, to be the seminary prof who has all the answers all the time, to be the expert at this or that or whatever it is for you. But if we're honest, that quest is exhausting and it never satisfies. But see, the good news of the gospel from Numbers chapter six this morning is that God in Christ blesses us by putting his name upon us and it frees us from that exhausting never satisfying quest to make a name for ourselves. And so this morning we want to see simply that, that in Christ God gives us a name that's better than any name because as we've heard in our wonderful prayers this morning, the name of Jesus is the name above every name. And that name alone will satisfy. So I want to walk through this passage with you this morning. We want to look first at the blessing itself. We'll spend the most time there, so... Don't be worried when I finally get to point two. We'll spend the most time there. And then I want to I look at, uh, secondly, the God who blesses. Why it is that God blesses us? And then I want to wrap up by looking at verse 27, which is the key to this whole text and, the, and really the theme of the, of the sermon that God puts his name upon us. And it's so important because that's the verse that holds it all together, but it's so often the verse, understandably, that we don't read in the benediction. So let's do that together this morning. Let's look at the blessing itself. And let me just set the context since we're jumping into numbers for a minute. The book of Numbers is the account of Israel in the wilderness after the great Exodus event. And here in the opening chapters, they're at Mount Sinai still, if you know the story. Israel is at Mount Sinai where the covenant was given to Moses. The Ten Commandments were given to Moses. And now here in these early chapters, they begin to organize the people and give them all of their jobs for the journey that they're about to set off upon. The journey into the land of Canaan, the 40-year journey where they kind of walk in circles and whatnot. But they finally get there after about 40 years. And as we're here in number six, they're still preparing for that journey that lies ahead. They're about to set off from the mountain and life in the wilderness is, is hard. And so they, they have this blessing put upon them. Think about that. They're in the wilderness. They're going to wander for 40 years. And it's, it's as if this blessing sends them on their way. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord be gracious to you. You're going to need help in the wilderness. The blessing sends you upon the way. And already we can begin to connect this to our life. Because in the book of, of Hebrews, we find that not in an exact one-to-one way, but in an analogous way, we, Christ's New Testament church, are, are wilderness people. We live in the wilderness as well. Secure in Christ, forgiven of our sin. That's, that's for sure, but we're still a people on the way, not yet at the fullness of our salvation, not yet in the new heavens and the new earth with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we hear this blessing week by week, it has this analogous kind of imagery behind it. Because see, to come in together week by week in worship is to leave the wilderness of the world. To gather together and be given a foretaste 
of the inheritance that lies ahead, a foretaste of life forever with God. And so then as the service draws to a close and the benediction is pronounced, which I don't know why we say everything in Latin. As a theologian, I'm okay with that, but I don't know why we do it. It just means God's good word to be blessed is to receive good things. So the benediction is God putting his good word upon us week by week. It's not just the end of of the sermon or the service, excuse me. And what's the the correlation with the book of Numbers? Well, we're about to leave this place and go back into the wilderness as it was for another six days. The wilderness that's full of trial and temptation. The wilderness that is a hard place to live. The wilderness, we're following the ideology of the world. You're going to be tempted every single day to make a name for yourself instead of rest and live in the name that God gives you in Christ. See, so the benediction is, is more than just let's wrap things up and get to lunch. It's powerful. It's God's blessing on us, or brunch, whatever. whatever. So it, it's powerful. And now as we come specifically back to, to our text this morning, we see here that this is a job given to Moses and Aaron, to the, to the priests. Moses instructs Aaron to... to and his sons, that they are the ones who will pronounce this blessing on the people. And as we go from verse 22 into verse 24 and the actual blessing itself, uh, w- there's a progression that we want to see. You can think of it like this. It's like climbing up um, a step on, the, on a staircase each time. So in verse 24, 25, 26, and then 27. And let me just show you the structure of this and and just do grammar just for a second because it helps unfold what goes on here. This blessing that sends Israel on its way, that sends us on our way week by week, has three sentences, verse 24, 25, 26, or three phrases. They're not all complete sentences in English, are they? But each phrase has a subject who is the Lord and two verbs. And the second verb expands the first, and I'll unfold that in a minute. But that's, that's the structure here. We have the Lord, two, two, um, two verbs, and a you. The Lord bless and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And now, as a Texan, a native Texan, I kind of look at that and I think, surely that's y'all. But it's, but it's not. It's actually a singular pronoun. And it, is that, why is that important? Well, it's meant to show us the intimate nature of this blessing. And it's meant to show us that, yes, it's for the community, but it's also for the individual. And we don't want to separate those things. It's for us as individuals, but us as the people of God. who are about to set off for six days in the wilderness. All right, so let's go to the first step of the stair, verse 24. We hear these wonderful words. May the Lord bless and keep you. And so again, we have the subject, the Lord, and then those two verbs. So bless and keep you. So the the keep you fills out what is meant by the bless here in this particular instance. And it's like this. It's in that first verb, God turns, uh, turns towards us. Then in the second verb, he acts. So he turns towards us to bless. How does he bless? By keeping us. By preserving us, because that wilderness is a hard place. And many scholars would suggest here that Numbers 6.24 is an allusion to Psalm 121. If you know that psalm, it's actually one of my favorites. 
And so what does it mean that God keeps his people in the wilderness of life? Well, the psalm, I lift my eyes up to the hills to help me. I won't make it through the wilderness on my own, but the Lord uh, will be my helper. He won't let your foot be moved. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He, he won't let you fall off the, off the trail. This is probably when they're going up to the temple in Jerusalem. It'd be a rocky, narrow trail, and very likely they could tumble down the side. But no, the Lord is your keeper. He's your shade on your right hand. And so there's this beautiful description of God who keeps his people. It's really saying that God is the good shepherd who guards and guides us along the paths of life. But we keep climbing the stairs to verse 25, and it gets better, doesn't it? Because now we still have the Lord, of course, is doing all of the blessing, but what does it say now? Make your face shine upon us. Well, and how does he do that? He turns towards us with his face smiling upon us, shining upon us, and he acts by being gracious to us. Now, this image of God's face shining or smiling upon us, it's an image of relationship, of God's favor. And then he acts in grace. Why? Because we don't qualify for God's grace or favor, but he is kind and loving and makes a way. That's, he does it ultimately in Christ, but even in the Old Testament, he provides all the sacrifices and the cleansing. He provides all the gracious remedies so that he can lavish his favor upon his people. And we see that in Numbers chapter five. And this image of God's face shining and smiling upon us occurs all throughout the Psalms. And if you find this in the Psalms, this image, what does it mean? What is it communicating to us? And so often, it's God reversing trial and trouble and bringing his salvation, his healing, his wholeness. So that's the second step. But now we go on to the third step, verse 26. God not only shines his face upon us and is gracious, but now he lifts his countenance up upon us and gives us peace. And this is the one that is a little bit tricky because the word countenance is not a word that we use very much in English. And actually in Hebrew, it's the word for face. It's the same word as the verse before. So what's the difference between a face shining upon us and God lifting up his countenance upon us? Well, the image is like this, that God's countenance lifted up upon us. It's like God looks us in the eye and says, I'm paying attention. I'm caring for you. I see you. I know the wilderness is hard, but I have my eye upon you. And as I have my eye upon you, I'm at work to give you peace. Not just the absence of war and trial and trouble, but, but peace really in the, in the Bible has this image of wholeness, of salvation, of the world being made right. And we know something of that now in Christ, but the, the fullness of that peace, or the word is shalom, lies for us in the future, in that new heavens and new earth. So we've climbed three steps of the blessing. And I hope you agree that it's a, it's a beautiful blessing. It's, it's wonderful and full of imagery as we think about our situation in, in the wilderness. But you know, the sad reality is that many people re refuse to receive this wonderful blessing. We see that in the book of Numbers itself. This first generation of Israel, 
Those who saw the great Exodus event die in the wilderness because they won't receive this blessing from God, because they won't rest in the name that is above every name. See, because if you, if you refuse this blessing, all you're left with is that quest to make a name for yourself. In a sense, you're saying, I can handle the wilderness on my own. And this is worth thinking about because I think it's deeply ingrained in our culture. Is there anything more quintessentially American than the self-made man? Or I'm from Texas. We love the cowboy who goes off by himself and beats everybody. He doesn't need any help. But don't we love the rags to riches story? It's almost become a, a religion and an ideology that if you just work hard enough and do the right things, cultivate your inner self enough, then you can make it. You can at least have a comfortable middle-class life. The self-made man, we love the story, but the message of the Bible says, no, you're toast in the wilderness without the blessing of God. And maybe that diagnoses hearts, but it's also good news. Because it says we're not on this quest just to make our own name. And so the blessing is saying, don't reject it. Come, receive, live with God's name upon you. So that's the blessing itself, but let's think together for a minute about God who blesses. Why should we trust God's blessing? Why shouldn't we just pursue and and make a name for ourselves? Well, we've already seen that here in Numbers, the subject of each of these three steps, if you will, is God himself. To bless is is the work of, of God. And scripture unfolds for us the reason that God can bless is because he is the blessed God. 1 Timothy 11, Paul says this, here he speaks of God, he says, the glory of the blessed God. And so to say that God is blessed is to speak of God's nature, of of who God is. And to say he is blessed means that he is the ultimate good, that he is completely satisfied, completely content, completely happy, if you will, in and of himself before he ever even makes the world. Now, why is that important? Well, what God does in the world is a revelation, a a revealing of, of who God is. And so you see, it's not just that God looks on people who need help and says, I have some blessing to give, I'll give it to you. No, what we're supposed to see is that he himself is blessed so he can bless and bless and bless and never run out of blessing to give. That's why we can do the benediction every single week. It never runs dry. I'd say that's really, really important because it's beginning to show us that the blessed life that we all desire comes from God himself. So bless the God, God is our blessed God. It speaks of his nature, but God does turn towards us and he blesses us most climatically in and through Christ the eternally blessed second person of the Trinity, comes to us in his incarnation, living that life of righteousness, dying on the cross, rising again on the third day for our justification. And if you think about this idea of, of God blessing, that's really been at the heart of God's plan from the, of, for the world from the beginning. 
God makes creation and it's good and he makes man and, and woman in his image in Genesis 1.28 and what does he say? He blesses them and gives them a job to do. And then yet we, we turn away from God in our sin but what do we see in Genesis chapter 12? That through Abraham, through the unfolding plan of redemption that culminates in the Lord Jesus Christ, God is going to bless not just Abraham and not just Israel, but all nations of the earth. Everyone who will make the Lord Jesus Christ's name first in their lives and quit seeking their own name. That blessing is going to spread throughout the earth. And so we see in, in the pages of the New Testament when the Lord Jesus Christ does show up, that he's the new and greater Abraham. He's the new and, and final high priest who brings blessing. And so we read in Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And we see in Romans 9 that Christ is God and he is blessed forever. And so the logic is this, that as the forever blessed one, he blesses us now with his work, his saving work on our behalf. And maybe that sounds great, but let's be real. Monday morning's coming. Living in the wilderness is hard. You might not feel blessed tomorrow. You might not feel blessed on Thursday when you get an email that irritates you or when things in the meeting on Tuesday don't go well. So what do we do? We have this rich theology, the blessed God, perfectly blessed in himself. You're saying, Jason, Christ blesses us, Ephesians 1, 3. But what do we do then when we don't feel blessed? Well, we remember that we're a wilderness people, so we don't expect the, the blessed life to always be the easy life. But what do we do? We, we preach what is true to ourselves. We preach the gospel to ourselves and, and know that it's not just about feeling, though that's not unimportant, but what has God done for us in Christ? And Ephesians 1 fleshes out what this blessing is. You might not feel blessed, but remember that in Christ you are chosen. His love is placed upon you. You might not feel blessed, but God has adopted you into his family by grace and now you are a child of God. You might not feel blessed, but your sins are forgiven. Is there any greater blessing in the world? You might not feel blessed, but you have redemption in his name. You might not feel blessed, but you have an eternal inheritance waiting for you in the heavens that will be better than anything you can get by seeking your own name. See, the temptation is when we don't feel blessed is to dig in, work harder, Make a name for ourselves. Change the situation. But Ephesians 1 is saying, no, the blessing is in Christ because in Christ you are kept. In Christ, he shines his face upon you and is gracious to you. In Christ, he lifts up your chin as it were and looks you in the eyes and says, I pay attention to you and I give you peace, peace with God through my cross and that eternal inheritance of peace. Now, I think lying in the background of this feeling of not being blessed, but also this theology of the blessed God, is that we have this desire, that desire to make something of ourselves. What it really reveals, even if we don't think of it this way, is that deep down, because God is this blessed one, the true source of blessing that never runs dry, what we're really doing 
in, in sinful and distorted ways when we're seeking to make a name for ourselves is we're really after God. Deep down, we all desire God. And what the ironic benediction is, is helping us to see is that it's only his blessing that will truly satisfy. It's only his name alone that can quench that desire. And you know, there is a, a reality of life that you can work really hard and make a name for yourself, at least sometimes. But there's so many great examples from people who have done just that, but then they wake up empty. And one of the, it's kind of a sad story, but one of the best illustrations of this comes from Tom Brady, the football player. Some of you might have heard this story. It goes back a ways now, but Tom Brady, after winning his third Super Bowl title, was interviewed by 60 Minutes. And here, you know, Tom Brady, at this point in time, married to a supermodel, three, in, three Super Bowl titles. He's not married to the supermodel anymore. Um, but he was then. And he's, he has this conversation with his 60 Minutes host, and the host says, you know, you've made it. Like, look what you've done. This is great. You've made it. And Tom Brady, in a moment of raw honesty, says, yeah, people tell me I've made it. They tell me that this is success, but I think, is this it? There's got to be something more. And I don't know if anyone could answer for Tom Brady, but the something more is God. Of course you want something more because anything in this life will never satisfy. It's only the name of Christ lavished upon you. And see, young, all of us, but especially young people, I think it's so important to know you can get every single thing you want in life. And some of you will. And one day you will wake up miserable if you don't have the blessing of God in Christ. So look to him in faith. So that's the blessing. That's our God who blesses. But now look with me at the blessing of God's name. Verse 27. And as I, I was saying, I, I, I understand that it wouldn't make good uh, sense necessarily to recite verse 27 in our benediction, but this really brings it all together for us. That as the benediction is pronounced in the Old Testament time and analogously today, what's happening is God is blessing us by putting his name upon us. And I think what we're supposed to see is that this is the final step. We come up to the, the climactic point of the blessing. Because God's name are all those things that he has just pronounced. God is gracious. God is keeper. God is the one who smiles upon his people. God is the one who's full of grace. He's slow to anger. God is merciful. He's putting that name upon us in this blessing. And many um, Old Testament scholars will suggest that the threefold use of Lord in verses 25, 24, 25, and 26 is a hint at the Trinitarian name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that helps us to think about what does it actually mean, as we wrap up, for God to put his name upon us. Because in the sacrament of baptism, we're baptized into the singular name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what does baptism signify? Lots of things, but union with Christ Ephesians 1.3, in Christ we are blessed. In our union with Christ, this blessing is made real. In our union with Christ, God puts his name upon us. 
So union with Christ is just a way to talk about salvation, about faith in Christ and what he's done for us. And it's the only place that we are truly blessed. And it's the only name that truly satisfies because his name is that name above all names. And if you look throughout scripture, this idea of God's name being made great happens quite a bit. We pray it in the Lord's Prayer, don't we? Hallowed be your name. Set apart your name, O God. Make great your name. But we also see that there's conflict about the name of God from the opening pages of scripture. Most strikingly, I think perhaps in Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, or is it Babel? Living, I get it confused and it's different in each country I've lived in. The Tower of Babel, Babel, whatever you prefer. What's happening there in Genesis chapter 11? They're building a tower up to heaven. Why? Let us make a name for ourselves. But God, don't you just love his infinite wisdom? What does he do? He knocks down the tower, confuses their languages, scatters them to the ends of the earth. Genesis chapter 12, Abraham, I'm still gonna bless you. You're just not gonna get it in your own way. I'm gonna gather you from all the nations of the earth. And anyone who will join the cry of the psalmist, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be glory, receives this blessing. See, that cry of the psalmist is a cry of faith. And God answers, God gives that cry. He enables us to make that cry, but he answers that by turning his face upon us, smiling at us, giving us his acceptance, that name that alone satisfies. There's so many things we could say about this. This is one of those sermons where it's really hard to decide what not to say. There's so many themes coming uh, together in this uh, brief blessing. But in Revelation 21, it kind of helps bring us the idea of blessing and name and God's face together. Because Revelation 21 points us to that great inheritance. It points us to that day when God's peace will cover the earth, when shalom will be what we know forever. But it tells us that at that great day, God will bring us to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And those who are invited are blessed. In Christ we're blessed. The blessed are invited to this great celebration. And what happens at that great celebration? We get the blessed vision, the beatific vision of God, where forever we'll gaze upon the beauty of the Savior. And, and, the, and the, the image that came to mind this morning as I was thinking about this and, and praying about this, this is a bit speculative, I'll, I'll confess that, but it, it's like this, the, the end of the journey that we're on, the end of the journey where we're so tempted to make our name is this new heavens and new earth. And when we get there, blessed in Christ, it's a, it, I have two kind of pictures in mind. We'll get there and we'll realize, oh, I was about my name way too much. Or some of us might get there and be like, I feel like I never had a name. I don't qualify to make it. And the Lord Jesus Christ will come and that countenance will be lifted up. He'll lift up our chin and just look you in the face. We walk by faith now, but then we'll see by sight. He won't have to say a word. But no matter what the wilderness was like, you won't be disappointed. And you'll be satisfied forever. See, we miss that if we're out about our own name. But the good news of number six, the Saronic benediction says, come receive by faith the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you do, let the Lord Jesus and his name be placed upon you. And it frees you from that exhausting, never satisfying quest 
to make your own name. Trust in his name alone. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let me pray. Father, it is so difficult in the wilderness of life to not be about our own names and our own trials and troubles all the time. But Father, would you be so kind to work a little bit deeper into our hearts the reality that your smiling, approving face alone satisfies? And would you free us to live in that reality this week, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to Dr. Jason Pickard, a guest preacher at New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church Escondido reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.